How many of you say, this is my favorite car so far out here in the foyer today? Yeah, Ford Mustang. I knew it. I knew it. So the Ford Mustang was introduced in 1964. When it came out, 22,000 were just bought almost immediately. And they went for the grand total of $2,368. Crazy, huh? So the Mustang is one of the very few cars that within the last 50 years has not missed a model year. So some cars, like the Camaro, over time, there have been some years where they did not make them. Not true for the Mustang, a classic that has held out, and they've produced one every year. They've, they've appeared in more than, or they've appeared more than 3,000 times in TV shows and movies. And, of course, it's known for its unique design, its kind of muscle and power and strength. We've been talking about over the past several weeks what it means to be designed by God with purpose, strength, and intent, made to move, made to accomplish, made to go places, made to be driven. Each of us have been given a very unique design. Now, I realize that because of what happened in the book of Genesis, every car, every design, every body, every person was wrecked. Sin has wrecked our lives, but God sent his son, Jesus Christ, that we might be made over, that we might be made new. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ by faith, then you are now in the process of being restored. Amen? You're having some new tires and new fender work done. He's accomplished the work already, but you're accepting it more by faith, and it's producing change in you. You're finding more strength. You're finding more power. You're understanding forgiveness that's yours, cleansing that's yours, acceptance that's yours, all in Jesus Christ, and it's making you all new. And here's the thing that happens. The, the further you walk, the more you accept, the more you walk in obedience to Christ, you start having this new drive within you. Something new is happening. You have this desire to not sin, but to seek God. But there's this new drive that kicks in, a new gear, if you will, where you're finding some strength and you're finding some extra oomph. And it's a drive to see other people experience what you've experienced. You see, you haven't been remade just for yourself. You haven't been reborn just for you to sit in your own garage and say, aren't I pretty? You have been remade and re-engineered in Jesus Christ so that you might be driven to see others come to experience that makeover in their life. It's what happens. This drive begins to kick in, and the further you walk with Christ, the stronger the drive is, and the more you mature in him, the stronger the drive is, and you, just, you almost just can't stand it anymore. Something's got to be done. you got to get up. you got to see somebody rescued. you got to see somebody else set free. There's a drive that comes alive in you. It's the very same drive, watch this, that Jesus had when he was here. When he said this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That drive begins to awaken in you. And when you're walking in obedience to Christ, you, you feel it. You know. I can't just... I can't just live for me anymore. 
I've got to be doing what God's called me to do. I've got to start making a difference in other people's lives. It's no longer just about me. He puts a new drive within you. You see, the Spirit of God himself comes to live in you, and the Spirit that drove Jesus is driving you now. And you sense it, and you know it. This is where our series has been taking us, what it means to be driven. Now, we started something last Sunday night, a mini-series on Sunday evening, which is kind of unique for us. And we're calling that series Under the Hood. We're taking a look at this unique design that each one of us have. And so last week, we looked at the very unique personality and drive that each of us have. God has created you not with just a unique appearance, but he has crafted your personality just for you. And we looked at those last week, and we walked away with a profile And we all understood one another a little bit better last week. We had some great laughs, had some great times. We all compared our our personality profiles. Tonight, we're doing something a little bit different. You see, when you receive the Spirit of God into your life, the Bible says that you received His grace. Another word for that is gift. He put a unique drive within you. And if you don't understand that fuel within you, then you'll never experience the great joy, peace, and calling that he has for you. So many believers live frustrated because they feel like, well, I'm just not accomplishing what I I think I'm set out to do, but I don't even know what I'm set out to do. I just know that I'm not doing it right now. Did you know that for every one of us, we've been given a unique drive, and it affects how you see everything. It affects how you see people in your life. It affects how you see situations in your life. Let me just give you an example of some of the things we're going to talk about tonight. Let me just set up a scenario. Let's just say the service is over here after a while, and we all walk outside, and someone has had a flat. Now, no one has. Let's just assume, and let's hope that that doesn't happen, because nobody wants to have a flat. That's a sad, frustrating kind of thing. But depending upon your gifting, when you walk out that door and you see it, you're going to have a unique response to that situation. You're going to have a set of thoughts and you're going to have a set of actions that you think you want to do in that moment. And that is driven by your spiritual gift. So let me just give you some examples because the Bible says there are seven of them in the book of Romans. We're going to talk about those tonight. I'm not going to give away too much here. But I know that some people, when they walk out and saw the situation, somebody's going to respond like this. We need to get some help. Hey, would you go inside and get some guys to come out here and let's change this? Hey, would you go over there and would you get some water for them? Hey, would you go over and get a chair for them? You see what I'm saying? Someone's going to have that reaction right there when they see that happen. Somebody's going to say, hey, can I, can I help you with anything? Can I, can I, can I help you? Can I make a, call, a phone call to anybody? Somebody's going to want to do that. Somebody's going to say, oh, I'm just so sorry. I know this is so difficult. I know this is challenging. Is there anything we can do for you? They're going to be very compassionate in that moment right there. That's how somebody's going to respond. Someone's going to say, hey, uh, well, tell me, uh, where do you buy your tires from? Can I contact them for you? Do you have a a replacement plan for them? Somebody's going to be very concerned about how they're going to recover the situation here. Somebody's going to be concerned with saying this. You know, I bet God has a message for all of us in this. (laughs) You know? And that's going to be someone's gift. That's going to be their calling within them. Someone's going to say, you know, I wonder if there's a nail in the tire. I know there was some construction up the, up the road this past week, and I saw two other people had flats this week, and they're going to wonder why all this is going on, ask some questions. And someone's going to say, you know, uh, we're going to have you up and running here pretty soon. You don't have to be upset about this. It's going to be okay. You're going to have a great day. You're going to have a great week. We're going to get you where you're going. And they're going to be very encouraging in the process. Those are the seven different responses that you're going to have, and it will be based on your gifting. 
It really will be. Tonight, you'll take a profile, and you'll discover what your gifting is and why you respond to certain situations. Why some people get very organized when a situation happens. Why some people pull back and they're very compassionate in a situation. Why sometimes someone's very, very concerned about another person's feelings. It's all about your gifting. So come back tonight, 6 o'clock. Bring a cake. We're all going to bring some cake. We're going to eat cake and have a great time. Under the hood, 6 o'clock. Let's get onto our series, Moses. He's the guy we've been following for a little while. I'm not going to go back and backtrack the whole story of Moses, but I will tell you this. When we meet Moses kind of halfway into our story here, we find out that he was the son of a very powerful king. Born a Hebrew, growing up in Egypt, he's the son of Pharaoh. And he can't stand where he is because he's watching his own people who are slaves being mistreated. And he's so frustrated by it that he actually goes out one day and he kills an Egyptian. And he has to run and hide. And the Bible says that he went and he lived on the backside of the desert. He was far from what he had been designed to be. He was far from what God had called him to be. He was living a small half-life. But there, God met him. And God showed him his power. God showed him his strength. And God called him. And God said, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. You, you, Moses, I'm going to use, you are going to be the one who redeems your people. Our story today takes up here in Exodus 4. We're kind of following along the story, and then we're going to get into chapter 5 here in a minute. Here's what chapter 4 says. It said, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand. Last week, we talked about these three amazing signs that God gave uniquely to Moses. And he told me, he said, when you go back, and you get to doubting, you get to forgetting, you get to wondering if I'm with you, and the people start to question you, you use these signs. You got to go back and listen to that message because we looked at what our signs are today for us. And it goes on in chapter 4 and it says this, But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Moses, I'm just going to tell you up front. You're going to go back to Pharaoh. You're going to ask for him to set your people free. But here's what's going to happen, Moses. You're going to use all your signs, all the wonders, all the powers. And Moses, Pharaoh is going to refuse. He's going to harden his heart. And he will not let the people go. How would you like to know that was your mission? You were going back, and it was going to be difficult, challenging. You were going to go back in confidence, and he was going to respond with no. 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 I said no. No. Not going to do it. Not going to happen. No. The rest of verse 21 says this. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Can you imagine going back with that kind of passion, that kind of vigor, and that kind of message from God? Pharaoh, you can harden your heart, but here's what God says. All these people that you're using as slaves right now, they are God's son. You better watch it, Pharaoh. You're messing with God's son in this situation. Man, what passion, what, what desire, not just in Moses, but from God himself. 
Don't mess with my people. These are my people. Our first big point is this. The Spirit of God ignites in us a drive to see people we love set free. He does. That drive is in you. I don't know if you're listening to it. I don't know if you're yielding to it. It's so easy to kind of push it aside, to shut it down and say, well, you know, I'm just so busy with work. You know, I got all this stuff going on. Oh, man, I got so much going on at home. I got to figure out my house. I got, oh, I got all this work to do. I don't have time for getting up there at the church and going out in the community and, and you know, helping people and serving people and teaching people and witnessing to people. I don't have time for all of that. But you know it's down in there. That drive is down in there. You can push it down. You can attempt to ignore it, but it's down in there. And it keeps burning. And it keeps, it keeps welling up within you. The engine keeps revving. You won't slip it into gear because you're too stuck in park in your own life. And that drive's down there. You were made with that drive. That gear was designed for you. And you were meant to grab it and shift it down into that gear and experience real life that comes in that gear there. There's this, this thing that happens. Just And after a while, you might try to dismiss it, but it's like after a while you think, I, I just can't ignore this any longer. I just, I just can't keep living like I'm living. I've got to, I'm going to have to rearrange my priorities. Because it doesn't matter how many times I keep running away, my stuff just keeps falling apart. I keep trying to make it all work in my own strength, and it's not happening. And I, I you might say I don't understand. Oh, but you do. You know what's happening. You're trying to run in your own strength like Moses, and you find yourself on the backside of the desert. And God's saying, I got a purpose for you. I got a plan for you. I'm waiting for you to put it in gear and let's go. And, and this is changing everything about you. If, if you're a husband, you, you sense it. Work is no longer the main thing. You think there's got to be something more to it. And there's this, there's this fire inside, there's this drive inside, there's this desire inside. You, you haven't even told anybody about it, but it's in there. And you, and you sense it late at night. When you're all by yourself, it's kind of quiet, and you're trying to shut it all out. You sense it, and there's this desire inside, and you think, you start thinking about your wife, and, and you start thinking about how much you want her to be free. And you wish you could help her, and you, you wish she could experience all that God has for her. It's that drive inside. It's the Spirit of God talking to you. And wives, the same things happen to you. You may not have expressed it to anybody, but it's happening within you too. You look over at your husband. You hadn't said anything to him yet, but you, your heart aches for him. You want him to be free. You want him to know all that God has for him. You want him to know God's purpose for his life. You want him to know all of that. And if you're a parent, you may not have ever said it to your children, but you know what I'm talking about. That burns in you too. That drive is down in there. You think, I just want my kids to not just do well. I want them to know God. I want them to walk in his ways. I want them to know what it means to be loved and to be forgiven. I can't make them live lives of perfection, but I can make them live lives of, or I can direct them to live lives of intimacy with God to know God in his ways. And it burns within you. you. You feel it for your family. You feel it for your neighborhood. You feel it for your community. You feel it for your nation. You watch the news at night and you see crazy stuff happening and you get upset about it, but down, be, down below the frustration, down below some of the anger you have about it, down below there's this burning desire. People have got to come to know Jesus Christ you're not going to solve this problem with more money and with different politics 
Only Jesus can solve this thing. And it burns within you inside. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you. That's the Spirit of God wanting to drive you there. It burns within you. This is what's happening to Moses. He's got this drive inside. He thought at first he could just solve it by killing one Egyptian, and that didn't work. But God redeems the situation. And God says, all right, Moses, you're going back. And I'm going to use you to set an entire nation free. And Moses, as much as you love them, they're like a son to me, Moses. I want you to watch what happens next in this chapter 4 and see how passionate God is. Watch this. He says this to Moses. But if you refuse to let him go, this is what God says to tell Moses to tell Pharaoh, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. You see, God is not playing. Pharaoh, those are my people. I'm calling you to let them go. I'm tired of you enslaving them. I'm tired of you mistreating them. I'm tired of you not letting them be what I've called them to be. Pharaoh, you better let them go. I pray this has never happened to anybody in this room. But I know it's one of those things that every parent has at least explored in their mind. And parents, it's this. That fear of being somewhere and your child being taken from you. You know what I'm talking about, parents? That, that just kind of wells up within you like, mm-mm, you're not taking my child. I don't care who you are, where you are, I'm coming after you. I'm going to get my child, and you better not hurt them. You better not touch them. I'm coming after you. Hello, parents, can you relate? Yeah, it's kind of getting all mad right now, aren't you? It's good. That's good. That, that that you're feeling right now is just the smallest of indicators of the heart of God for his people. Then and today. So Moses and Aaron go back. They make the journey. Chapter 5 takes off like this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in. And told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh, this is a new day. We've come with a new word for you. God says, let my people go. Moses is speaking with confidence. He's all bold and bowed up and speaking, you know, with passion. And he's got some faith here in this moment. And this is where it begins. You see, God has very specific plans for how this is all being carried out. The people are captive. And the one that Moses goes to is not the people right now, it's to Pharaoh. And here's why. Second big point. The battle for setting captives free begins by confronting the one who holds them captive. That's where you start. If you've got friends or family, children, 
that are held captive right now, and I don't mean physically. Now we're talking about spiritually. If you have those that you know who are bound by addictions, unbelief, disobedience, depression, bitterness, anger, a long trail of broken relationships, and they are walking away from God and they are refusing to come to him, they most likely are experiencing some kind of bondage in their life, some kind of binding, some kind of enslavement. They are being deceived by the enemy. They are believing a lie. And what you and I naturally want to do is to go and confront them, right? It's what you want to do. Well, I'm just going to call them. I'm just going to text them and tell them a thing or two. And you do it. And they say, I'm not listening to you. You're like, well, (coughs) you know know what I'm talking about? Hello. Am I with me this morning? And, and, And you think it's all up to you to convince them of the error of their ways. Because you think the problem is, is them. But God sees and God knows that the problem often is not the person, but the one who holds them in bondage like some puppeteer controlling a puppet. He's moving their strings and he's manipulating their thoughts and he's suggesting lies and he's whispering falsehoods to them. He's casting doubt into their head. He is the one who's holding them captive. And if you want to see people in your life set free, you're going to have to go first and deal with the one who holds them captive. This is what Moses does first. He goes and confronts Pharaoh. He's the one Who's holding them captive? Jesus says this in the New Testament, Mark chapter 3, verse 27. No one can enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods except he first bind the strong man. And then he'll plunder his house. You see, what you and I are called to in Christ is to grow up in his ways have some maturity, have some wisdom, have some knowledge, and have confidence to stand and know where the real problem is, where the real issues are, and to know how to battle in prayer, and to know how to get before the throne of God, and to get to a place where you're standing in confidence, and you shut down the one who's controlling and manipulating and holding your loved one in bondage. That's where it starts. And if you don't understand God's ways, if you don't put on your armor, you'll never be able to do that. You'll stand off in fear and you'll say, well, I just don't know what to do about that situation. Well, hey, church, it's time for us to grow up. It's time to know some things. It's time to get skilled as warriors. This nation, I don't know if you've noticed, it's lost its mind. It has. And it's not just its mind. It's the heart. It's gone. But it's not the people. 
It's the one who possesses them. It's the one who controls them. It's the one who manipulates them. It's the one who holds them in bondage. And if you and I don't go to that one and confront it first, if you don't bind the strong man who's the one controlling it all, we're never going to see victory in this place. We don't start with the person. We start with prayer. I'm talking about passionate earth moving straight into the throne room of God straight at the one who is holding a bondage and we shut it down let's follow the passage here it says that that Pharaoh responds he responds this big message from God and it says this and Pharaoh said who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go I do not know the Lord nor will I let Israel go. Moses, I told you it's going to happen. Pharaoh says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who this God is, and I'm not letting our nation, our culture of slaves go. I'm not going to let them go. Verse 3, Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Moses, Aaron, don't come in here taking our people away. This is the foundation of our culture. This is our workforce. These are our slaves. I don't care what you say. You are not taking them. But I want you to look what the last sentence says. Get back to your labor. You know what that says to them? It says, get back over there and get back to work. Guess what? Moses and Aaron hadn't been slaves in a long time. You see, Moses had been on the backside of the desert for 40 years. And Aaron's been gone. And they come back. And Pharaoh says, get on out of here with yourselves. In fact, get back to your slave self. Get back to work. I'm going to tell you this. The minute you... Start exercising a little bit of confidence and a little bit of faith, and you start doing some battle with the enemy. You start wrestling with what's not flesh and blood, and you start using your spiritual armor, and you start attempting to set a captive free. I can promise you this. Satan is going to resist you just like Pharaoh did, and Satan is going to try to put you back where you were before. He tried to send them back into their place of slavery. Our next big point today kind of puts all this together. The enemy will try to dismiss your dream, intimidate your drive, and make you a slave again. Oh, you get some kind of vision from God. God's going to restore my marriage. God's going to restore my finances. God's going to work in my life. God's going to use me for a purpose. I want to see my loved ones set free from that addiction, that problem, that strain. I want to see this relationship reconciled. And the minute you start exercising some faith in that, the enemy will oppose you. He will resist you. And he will do his best to intimidate you. Who do you think you are? Have you not seen your list of sins from this past week? You have no business confronting me, Mr. Christian, sir, ma'am. Don't come bringing all your spirituality up to me, Satan will say to you. And he will do this. He will say to you, 
Get back in there and just get back to work. Get back to where you were. You're just a slave. That's all you are. That's all you have been. That's all you are now. Now get back to work. And the enemy will do his work like that to try to insult you, intimidate you, and put you back where you've been before. To negate everything that you've learned, to negate every step of confidence that you've taken, to undo every step of perseverance and prayer and power that you've got. He'll say, you have no business in here. I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen the minute you start trying to take back what's been lost. Now, in some ways, I don't have to tell you that. Because it's probably already happened to you. You've probably already experienced it. Have you ever prayed for a relationship, a loved one, a friend, a situation, and you really sought the Lord about it? You really prayed and you dug in about it, and there was no answer, and there was no change, and you begin to have those whispers, you know, you probably missed God on this thing. You know, God's not going to hear you because of your half-life. You know God doesn't care about that kind of stuff. He's not going to listen to you. What are you thinking anyway? Get back to your mundane, self-absorbed, weak life. And sadly, so many Christians go, you're probably right. And they shrivel off back into some corner to just keep living their mundane existence. Weak faith no passion, no seeking God. Filled with a little bit of anger, a little bit of resentment, a little bit of bitterness, and they just crater back in. And Satan has accomplished his goal. He shut you down. He sent you back. And you listened to him. passage goes on it says this in verse 6 and 7 so the same day pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before but let them gather straw for themselves if you read on in the passage you'd find that what's happening here is that pharaoh gets really irritated at moses and aaron for coming and trying to set this, this group free. He says, all right, you want them to be free? Fine. I'm going to increase the intensity. I'm going to increase the pressure. I'm going to make this thing worse because of what you want. And all of a sudden now this culture of slaves, that all they do is make bricks from the mud and the straw, that's provided for them as resources. Pharaoh says, no more straw. Now you've got to gather your own straw. If you keep reading on in the passage, it says that Pharaoh says, and I'm not changing the workload. You've got to make the same number of bricks or you will pay dearly. And he turns up the heat. Big truth here. Let's look at this. When you go to battle and you start trying to see someone set free, the enemy will resist, and the situation will intensify. It's just going to happen. Just might as well know it right now. By faith, it's going to happen. 
You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever prayed for your marriage before? You think, okay, God, I'm trusting you. God, would you work things out of my marriage? God, I'm going to submit to you. Would you please bring reconciliation? Would you please restore? Would you, would you heal what has been diseased? Would you bring life where there's just been death? And you think, okay, God, I'm using every bit of my strength to pray for this. And you kind of go back into your day, and all of a sudden, things just get incredibly worse. Hello. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever prayed for a child before, and you're just in your closet, you've been praying, you know, a week has gone by, and you're praying for your child, you're praying for them to be set free, you're praying for them to know Christ, you're praying for them to walk in victory, and you get a phone call from them, they say, hey, Mom, Dad, things have really gotten worse. You're like, what in the world? What is going on? You start praying for your family, you start praying for your nation, and things just get wacky all of a sudden. I'm telling you. You don't just walk into a strong man's house who's holding someone captive and say, let my people go. And they say, okay. It doesn't work that way. They resist, they refuse, and they turn up the heat. I'm going to make things worse right now. And that starts happening. And that's where so many Christians get discouraged. They start praying and things get worse instead of better. And the whisper starts. See, I told you God wasn't going to hear you. See, I told you this was an impossible situation. See, what were you thinking? And the Christian that's weak in his faith just withers away, pulls back, hides away, excuse me, defeated. Big truth. You will be tempted to give up on your dream. And it happened for Moses. Look at this verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. It's gotten worse, God. It's gotten worse. The people are paying for it dearly because I keep asking. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Moses, listen to me. Pharaoh's going to resist. The situation is going to get more difficult, but Moses, listen to me. I will deliver my people. Pharaoh himself will be the one who sends them out. He'll be the one sending them out. This is what Moses needed. This was the confidence builder. This was the promise. Okay, God, If you say it, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to hold to it, and I'll obey in it, and I'll pray with it, and I'll serve in it, and I'll do what you call me to with it, because this is your word. This is your promise. This is what you said you would do. And I'm going to tell you, at this moment in the story, things go from worse to worse. God begins to bring a series of plagues upon Pharaoh and the land. 
Pharaoh, you're not going to listen to me? Okay. Here's what's going to happen. I'm about to bring a series of catastrophes upon the land. The first is, I'm going to turn water in your land into blood. He does. Rivers, creeks, basins, ponds, they turn to blood. I don't mean they just turned some tint of red when the sun was setting upon them. They actually turned to blood. Scared everybody. Pharaoh, the Bible says, hardened his heart. It got worse. God brought a plague of frogs that covered the land. That's gross. I'm sure at first it seemed funny. It probably looked cute. Oh, 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 day two, day three. God stinks around here. Frogs everywhere. You would think that would have been enough. God said, okay, I got another one for you. How about the land full of lice? And he does. Lice cover the land. Yeah, if you feel a sudden need to scratch your head, go ahead. Flies. A plague of flies. Now, I know here in Texas, we go out in our backyard and think, we got flies here. No, you don't understand flies. You don't understand a plague of flies. Flies everywhere. The next thing. That wasn't enough for Pharaoh. Still hardens his heart. The next thing. The livestock are diseased. The next thing, boils come as a plague into the land. The people are covered in boils. Nasty, oozy, red pus, yuck, gross, itching boils. The land is covered with them. The people have them. And Pharaoh still hardens his heart and says, no, they cannot go. God says, okay, I got another one for you. How about devastating, destructive hail? And God destroys the land with hail. If that wasn't enough, he brings a plague of locusts. If that wasn't enough, he brings a plague of darkness. All of these plagues come upon the land. Some month or two passes, and it's just relentless. People are suffering. The land is not doing well. You would think, you would think Pharaoh would say, okay, okay, enough is enough. They can go already. And he doesn't. He refuses. He will not give up. He will not let them go. He will not let the captives go free. And there were times that Moses doubted. And there were times that Moses cried out to God. But look here. Moses did not give up. He kept pressing forward. He kept going. He kept saying, let my people go. The Lord God has spoken. Let my people go. God has spoken. Let my people go. God is going to judge you. Let my people go. Do you not see the destruction that's come upon you? Let my people go. He just kept on and he kept on and he kept on. He never, ever, ever gave up. I just think, man, can you imagine if a new generation of believers today said, all right, I see it now. I see clearly what's going on. Our situation in our country, it's not about politics. And it's not about finances. It's not about what everybody says it's about. There's bondage here. Satan himself has blinded eyes. Satan himself is holding a nation in bondage. And I see what it is. I see it clearly. And so I am going to pray. It's not my last option. It's my first option. Because if we don't go bind the strong man first who holds everyone, we'll never get in and set them free. 
So I'm going to stand in confidence, and I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it loud, and I'm going to say it with confidence. Let my people go. It's time. It's been enough. Time's passed. People are hurting. It's been destructive. That's enough. I'm standing up in the confidence I have in Jesus Christ and saying, let my people go. You're going to say it as a dad. You're going to say it as a mom. You're going to say it as a husband. You're going to say it as a wife for your family. I'm tired of you having your way in my family, Satan. I'm tired of you coming in and messing with everybody. I'm tired of you coming in and speaking your lies. I'm tired of you keeping my family from experiencing all that, you, that God has for them. That's enough. Let my people go. It's time for the church to stand up and have that kind of confidence. It's time for us to just stop sitting and visiting church once a week and being the church all week long and storming heaven and putting on our armor and confronting the enemy. Amen? Come on. That's what we've been called to. And it does something in you when you see it. It does something in you when you walk in it changes you. It ignites that new fire. It puts you down into a gear you've never even felt the power of before. I didn't even know what that low gear was for. Now all of a sudden I've slipped down into it. I'm like, whoa! Now I know what this low gear is for. I know what that's for. I know what this purpose is for now. I feel a drive I've never felt before. And all of a sudden you get this, this passion within you to not give up. And your marriage life starts getting kind of tough. The intensity starts getting turned up. But you start saying, you know what? I'm not giving up. I'm not walking away. I'm not giving in. Satan, you're the one who's got a hold here. God, you're the one who has a victory. So I'm going to start speaking faith. I'm going to start walking in it. I'm going to start storming heaven. And I'm going to start defeating the enemy. And I'm going to say, let my husband go. You let my wife go. You let my children go. And just because you don't see the answer to the prayer the first week, you go back and you say it again. And just because you don't see the answer to the prayer the first month, you go back again. And because you don't see it in one year, because you don't see it in two years, because you don't see it in three years, you keep going back and say, you let my dad go. You let my mom go. You let my family go. You let my nation go. God is going to do a work. I'm telling you, that's when things start happening. When the church wakes up to that, when you start saying things like, this person's been created by God. This person's been loved by God. Jesus died for this person. Jesus has called them. Jesus has made a way for them to be free. Jesus has a plan for that man's life. Jesus has a way to remove all the bondage in their life. Jesus loves them. Jesus has them. Jesus do a work in them. And you start saying, Satan, you let them go. He's not yours. He doesn't belong to you. He belongs to God. Jesus died for him. You get on out of here. Stop speaking your lies. Stop speaking your trash. Stop speaking all your... Mm. Yeah. I had to guard my lips right there all of a sudden. I'm telling you. When the church wakes up to that kind of passion, you say, I'm not, I'm not giving up. I'm not stopping. It, it may not have yielded the answer I thought this week. I'm going back. And you start believing Scripture when it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You start doing some battle. You start getting in there. 
And you say, well, I thought we weren't supposed to do that kind of warfare. Well, then you tell me what that verse means. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. That situation that's happening in your family member's life isn't one that's going to be solved by just, mm, by just seeing a counselor. I believe in counseling. I do counseling. But I'm going to tell you what. If that counseling is not rooted in God's word and driven by God's spirit, you will not find answers. It's just truth. Because the issue is not some psycho-emotional issue. The root of the issue is spiritual. And if you don't bind the strong man first, you're never going to find relief. This is why God sends Moses to Pharaoh. And this is why God keeps sending Moses back to Pharaoh. He turns up the heat and he sends him back to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. So as we conclude our service today, we're going to pray. Because I know Every person in this room has some area in your life where you have prayed and you haven't seen an answer yet, where you've waited and nothing's changed, and that friend or family member or loved one or whoever it is is still not free. We're going to confront the strong man today. So it's time to let the confrontation begin. It's time for us to stand up in who we are in Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do today. We're going to have a time where we pray. If you want to pray by yourself in your chair, that's fine. You want to pray standing in your chair or by your chair, that's fine. If you want to get in your chair, you can too. If you want to gather up with some friends here and pray in your seat, do that. If you want to gather as family, do that. But I'm going to ask you this. Pray in the confident power and the name of Jesus Christ. Pray with certainty that he hears you. Pray with boldness that says, let my people go. Amen? And let's see what God does. Would you stand with me this morning?